everybody, and welcome to another episode of Murder Moms. Uh, we've got Janessa here. Hello. And this episode, we also have a special guest, our friend Ruby. Hi. She is hanging out with us today. Um, instead of our usual asking how the week went, I have a question for you that I was supposed to ask like three months ago. For me? Well, both of you. Okay. That I forgot about. Um, my friend Heidi said that I should ask this, and I'm only remembering now. Good. Um, and the question is, if you're a serial killer... (laughs) (laughs) Alright. How good do you think you would be? No, I don't want to answer this. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't want to I feel like this is a trap. So, like, my answer was, I think I would be okay until it came the time to, like, not tell anybody. Okay. So... I think that I would honestly do a very good job of not telling anybody and discarding evidence. Mm-hmm. I think that my problem would come to the killing. <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't do it. I take spiders outside. Like yeah. I can't Yeah. Okay, so we team up. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? I'd be total shit. I know you would. <laughs> I was thinking about this earlier today, and I was like, oh, Ruby would be, her answer's going to be like, oh, I'm bad. <laughs> yes. No. no, Michael Jackson. I, in my head. I can't kill the things. The guilt would be too much. You're too pure. <laughs> That's why we love you. I don't know about pure, but maybe just not murdery enough. <laughs> can't. Can't do it. Okay. All right. What do you have for us today? So, let me preface this by saying that I've had, again, uh, extra amount of time to do this. However... Something like Less that. than a week ago, I decided to change my subject because the subject I had, I just kept coming to dead ends. I couldn't find any more information other than he killed that person. And that was it. I couldn't find autopsy reports. I couldn't find how he killed them, where he... It was... It, I got frustrated and I gave up. So... I was proud of you because last time <laughs> this happened, we ended up with Dodd. Okay, but that was different. That wasn't that I couldn't find information because I found too much information. That one was just really sad because babies. Yeah. Well, I'm proud of you for giving up. This one doesn't have babies. So we're already off to a better start than Dodd. Okay. Okay. We're never gonna... I'm never gonna let you live Dodd down. We're gonna bring it up all the time. Wow, great. Thanks. Yep. (laughs) Alright. So, anyways, this week we are doing Edward Wayne... Edwards. His parents hated him. Yo, I said the same thing. Why would you do that? (laughs) Edward Wayne Edwards was born on June 14th in 1933 in Akron, Ohio to a single mother. His father was never in the picture and unfortunately when Edward was about two years old, he watched his mother commit suicide. I understand why people do it, like postpartum depression and depression and everything like that, but that just makes me so sad. He was subsequently adopted by Fred and Mary Ethel. After receiving a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis, Mary Ethel decided she couldn't care for Edwards alone as Fred was an alcoholic and not helpful, so she sent Edwards to live in an orphanage. Okay, so was Edwards his adopted last name or his... It was his adopted last name. Okay. Oh. He changed it. Or they changed it to Edward Wayne Edwards. All right, I'll let it slide a smidge then. <laughs> it's not. It's not like it was chosen to be like, haha, Eddie Edwards. 
and 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 any. Yeah, yeah. Like it's not like that was chosen that way then. Okay, I'll let it slide a little bit then. By Edward's own account, he was mentally and physically abused at the orphanage over the next eight years by the nun in charge, Sister Agnes Marie, until he was returned to Akron, where he was reunited with his foster mother, Mary Ethel. Edwards continued to do anything he could to be a crook, as he put it. He committed several burglaries, stealing bikes, bowling pins, dry or canned goods, cigarettes. This was during the Great Depression, so all of the things mm. were, like, tradable at, at the least. Yeah. She sent him back. He, According to the sister, he was just horrible. According to Edwards, he wasn't horrible. She just kept being mean to him. Apparently, he... He literally told the the nun when his adoptive mom came back to get him that he wanted to be a crook and he was going to be a good one. And that's from his account. Because at that point he felt so beat down by the nun in the orphanage that he was just like, you know what? I am a bad person. Yeah. I'm going to stick to it. Yeah. So. They convinced him. Yeah. Uh, he went back to live with Mary Ethel, but she died in October of 1945 after she was bedridden for over three years. Mm. She was only 36 years old. Oh, wow. Edwards was sent to live with his adoptive grandmother after that, and over the next year, he would reportedly be kicked out of school in sixth grade for vandalizing the local church. He set a man's work truck on fire out of jealousy. The man would stay the night at Edward's neighbor's home almost nightly, and Edward's was about 14 and had a crush on his neighbor lady. Oh. So he decided he was just going to burn the man's truck. Unfortunately, it was the man's work truck, so the business just gave him another one, and a week or so later, he came back in the work truck, and Edward's was so angry that he attempted to essentially blow the truck up. He went out there at night and opened the gas tank and was trying to drop lit matches down into the gas tank to blow it up and he's very lucky that didn't happen because yeah. he would have blown up yeah with the truck that's definitely not a fully flushed out 14 year old plan no and even the first time he burnt the truck down the cops came over and they asked you know they asked him questions because he he was a known kid in the neighborhood obviously for stealing stuff and stuff like that but his grandmother was like, no, he was in there with me. He went and made a sandwich and he ate it. And then he came back up and we were having a conversation. But he had intentionally timed things. Yeah. So that way he was always back with his grandmother so she could be his alibi, like, unwittingly. Yeah. At 14. Hmm. Can make plans. Stick matches down gas tanks. <laughs> we're not. There's, yeah. there's no balance. Yeah. He's not, he's not the brightest crayon there. But, you know, he, he was committed uh, a few weeks later, after a long night of drinking, yeah, you heard me, at 14, uh, he was... It was 1950 or something, right? That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it was It was about 1950. Um, but his grandmother woke him up by knocking on his door, and she told him that there was someone there to see him, and he had to come downstairs, and he had been out drinking all night, so he was like very upset about having to go and do this but he went downstairs and he was face to face with a detective Ooh. the detective asked edwards what time he had gotten in the night before confused but quick he told the man that he had gotten back about seven o'clock at night but unfortunately the detective had been watching edwards and saw him return home at 3 30 in the morning completely drunk and the detective told him you know 
you're lying to me. This really isn't working out. Your grandmother can't control you anymore. You can't stay here. And he took Edwards to a juvenile detention home. Wow. Two years later, while in the detention home, Edwards was visited by a Mr. Robinson, who was supposedly a Catholic service league worker, which I think is kind of like CPS, but specifically for the Catholic Church. Yeah, Catholic services is like a thing. Yeah. I'm not Catholic or, or religious in that sense, so I don't know. Mm, it, it's like a charity thing. All right, well, that makes sense. Mr. Robinson told Edwards that he had a place for him at a school in Pennsylvania where Edwards could better himself. He could learn trades, get an education. He would have independence. He could come and go to the school whenever he wanted and go to town and hang out. Whatever. He assured Edwards that it wasn't a punishment, but it was a privilege and they were programmed to help underprivileged kids or troubled youths, essentially. And that if Edwards got there and he decided he didn't like it, he could leave at any time and come back home. Edwards was really excited and agreed. And Mr. Robinson told Edwards that he would be back in a week's time to take him to school. And in the meantime, Edwards was free to go home and spend time with his family and explain what was happening, get his stuff, whatever he wanted. He was really excited about it. And Mr. Robinson had made the school sound so enticing. He was pumped. It was everything he wanted. He wanted to be seen as an adult. He wanted to learn things and, and better himself. So, like, this was exciting. Mm -hmm. In January 1968, Edwards arrived at his new school where his hair was immediately cut and he was given a tour. He knew he had made a mistake immediately. It wasn't like a bright, fun, exciting school that Mr. Robinson had described to him. It was a reform school with dreary, dirty halls, some 20-foot-tall walls. It was a prison for kids. Yeah. It, I don't know why he made it seem the other way, but... Yeah, the trick him into coming. I guess it makes sense because it's not actually a prison, so he, he had to commit himself, kind of like they do with... Yeah. A little over a year after moving to the reform school, Edwards was working on a dairy farm in accordance with his schooling when he decided to run. And he ran through the woods until he found train tracks, and he walked the train tracks until a train showed up and hopped on and rode the train back to Akron, where he went to several shops and bought clothing and candies and a watch, and he was doing this all on his family members' credits. Okay. I was going to ask. Like, yeah. Oh, but, like, yeah. Yeah. He didn't have money. This was a time where you didn't actually have credit cards. You had credit to the shop. Yeah. And then you would have to pay it off. So he knew that and he just went in and did whatever he wanted. He was quickly picked up, though, and spent a night in jail before he was returned to his grandmother's home. And then he was permitted to stay with his grandmother for two weeks before being returned to Pennsylvania. As punishment, his head was again shaved and he was made to sit outside for 30 days. A whole month. 30 days. Every day he had to go out there and sit outside. Huh. That's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. In 1950, Edwards ran away again, and after less than a week of working on a Mennonite farm, he returned to Akron where he went back to petty theft, shoplifting, and burglaries. He probably could have worked at the Mennonite farm longer, but they found out about his past, and they're like, no, you have to leave now. You cannot be here. Yeah. Edwards was now 16, so it wasn't quite his birthday yet. Right. Um, but he was picked up by a detective and sent to a detention prison. I read from several sources 
that Edwards was allowed to leave the prison to join the Marines. However, Edwards claimed that he and another minor had actually run away from the detention center. And later in Cleveland, on impulse, he joined the Marines, but was picked up yet again by the police and returned to the detention facility before he was sent to MEPS or boot camp or anything like that. So he did or did not make it to the Marines? So, when he... When he returned to the detention center, his probation officer asked why he ran off, as he reportedly had a good record other than the time he had previously run away. Like, he had done Mm -hmm. everything he was supposed to. Again, being quick, Ed responded that he would be 17 in just two days and had left to join the military. The officer didn't believe him, but two days later, supposedly... The U.S. Marines had sent word that Edwards was to report to Paris Island in roughly a week and that he was being released from the center immediately to prepare. Hmm. So one, again, is like reports and the other one is Edwards. So I guess take it with a grain of salt. Like something, 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 Marine, something, something. Yeah. There's some embellishments, I'm certain. I really don't know how much of this I believe this part really confused me but maybe somebody could give us more insight like would that happen Mm -hmm. would they actually release him like would the marines jump in and be like i know that he's here in retention but uh he signed up it's too late now he signed a contract so when i was in basic training and when i was in 319 getting ready to separate i remember that there was a guy there he he had been picked up for some crime and this is according to him. He had been picked up for some crime, and they gave him the choice of going into the military or going into jail. And he was like, well, I'm going to join the military then. This is really how we're getting people in our military? I mean... <laughs> this was 2008. He was also in the squadron because he was so poorly behaved, they were kicking him out. And by his logic, he was like, well, I joined the military, and they're kicking me out, and so I'll be free. And I was like, bro, that's not how that works. So that kind of comes down to, like, if you are sentenced to death or life in prison, if you're sentenced to life in prison and you die, you're legally dead, and then you somehow resuscitate, have you then served your sentence? Is that why they add 32 years to it? Because there have been people sentenced to life plus 32 years. Yeah. I don't know. That might be. I really don't know. But it's, I'm curious about it. I don't know. Anyways, the, the point of him being in this reform school and, like, would they take him or yeah. whatever, maybe? Yeah. Because according to this guy, it was, like, jail or the military, and he was like, okay. Yeah, and this is 1950s, so maybe? He joined the Marines, but this also didn't last long. Edwards was stationed in North Carolina when he went AWOL that same year. Cool. He was located in Jacksonville, Florida, and was arrested and subsequently dishonorably discharged. Edward spent a large portion of his 20s traveling and working any job that he could, usually some sort of handyman, though other professions were listed. It was mostly handyman jobs. His plan went better than the guy I was in 319 with. During this time, though, Edwards was forging checks and committing small burglaries that were all but undocumented. He got picked up for a couple things, but he claimed to have done more. This was just building his confidence and his ability to take advantage of people and become the con man that he is now known to be. He was arrested in April of 1952 for Grand Theft Auto, 
and stolen valor impersonating a U.S. Marine and was sentenced to two years in prison. This didn't diminish his ever-growing need to become famous for ill deeds, though. Edward stated he never wore a mask when he was committing crimes because he wanted people to know who he was and fear him. So this is stupid, but in times of COVID, he's like, he never wore a mask. And I was like, how rude. (laughs) That's a really good point, though. You're so stupid. I am so stupid. He wanted to be famous for his crimes, and it became a goal. It isn't surprising that shortly after his release from prison, Edwards went right back to working on that goal by burglarizing and was quickly arrested again and put back in jail, and this time in Akron, Ohio. Mm -hmm. Staying on theme. This didn't last either. I guess Edwards just decided he was done in there, and in 1955, he somehow escaped. He was still in holding. He hadn't even been sentenced. He made his way across the country, robbing gas stations as he went. He was again arrested in Montana the following year. He literally was on the run longer than he was in the military. I can't even... Wow. Yeah. Uh, But after serving some time in Montana, he was sent back to Oregon in 1959, where he was sentenced to five years probation for falsely pulling a fire alarm, which makes me wonder, like, what was the plan? Yeah. He obviously had a plan. He was going to pull the fire alarm and then do what? Yeah. Obviously, it didn't work out. I'm glad it didn't work out, but I want to know what he wanted to do. Oh, Oh, I feel like at this point, they should just be like, okay... We're just keeping you now. Yeah, this is this is where you live now. In 1960, this this man again broke out of jail, and this time he fled to Oregon, where he was now questioned with the double murder of a young couple, Larry Payton, 18, and Beverly Allen, who was also 18, who had gone missing in November of that same year. Larry and Beverly had plans on November 26th to go shopping at the Lloyd Center in Portland, Oregon. The following day, the 27th, Larry's Ford Coupe was discovered in the Forest National Park with his body still inside the vehicle, but Beverly was nowhere in sight. Her purse and coat were found in the back seat, but there was no evidence of where she may have gone. Larry's body was mutilated, beaten, and hopes for finding Beverly alive were not high now. Mm -hmm. They thought maybe they had, like, gone out in the woods and gotten lost, you know. Larry's body was mutilated and beaten, and they were very concerned for her safety. Roughly two months after of looking, the whole community was looking everywhere, they finally found her naked and beaten in a ravine about 30 miles away in January of 1961. The autopsy report stated that Beverly had been raped before being strangled to death, and in 1961, Edward Edwards was officially added to the FBI's list of most wanted for a warrant charging him with unlawful interstate flight to evade conviction, and a manhunt for him began. He started going by different names. There were probably a dozen listed. Oh, wow. He would just change them, so... To keep it cohesive, I'm just going to call him Edwards this entire time. Yeah. But just know that he's changed his name several times to evade police. Sometime between his second jail escape in 1962, Edwards married Marlene Harmon, who was 19 at the time. Edwards was nearly 30. Marlene, 
This is a recurring theme. Yeah. You know, I can see why it was so easy for, well, I don't want to say easy, but I can see how they were able to make, like, a serial killer classification. Mm Mm-hmm. Because they all have a lot of similarities, and we're only on 11, I think, at this point. 12. 10. I can see that, though. Marlene was aware of Edward's criminal lifestyle, though, which we don't usually have. That's true. And she was part of his cons a lot of the time. Cool. Yeah. On January 20th in 1962, the FBI arrested both Edwards and Marlene in Atlanta, Georgia. In a hotel room, Edwards was sent to Leavenworth Penitentiary in Kansas and sentenced to 16 years. When in prison, Edwards met a guard he claims changed his life and gave him purpose. He never said who it was. But he was like, I met a guard and they were wonderful. I don't know if it was a woman guard, though I doubt it for the time period. But he was like, this is it. I'm turning my life around. All right. It's doing it. He's doing it. You That's don't, my I don't believe it voice. You're doubting him. He began to turn his life around. He received his GED. He completed two years of technical college education, three business courses from Dale Carnegie, and spent five years doing vocational training. That's a long time. After five years, he was transferred to Lewisburg Prison in Pennsylvania, where he was paroled in 1971. So, nine years. He was very proud of the fact that he was one of the first criminals to ever be on the top ten's most wanted list and become paroled. Like, most of them don't get out. That's true. He was also one of the first to be paroled after their first visit to the parole board, which is, I guess, pretty amazing. Actually, yes. Um, most most criminals do not get paroled on their first try. But really... Sneaky decision. Right, okay. Yeah, really not... Over the next three years, Edwards would remarry, become a motivational speaker, and write an autobiography, The Metamorphosis of a Criminal, The True Life Story of Ed Edwards. I did not make that up. That's really what he named his book. What happened to the other girl? They they got arrested together, and then that was it. He dumped her. He had at least five wives that I saw. Jesus. And he had different names that he went by. So he just kind of... So it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Never mind. That makes sense. I wonder if I can find this book. You can. I got you. Hold on. The autobiography is available in PDF for free online, though, if you want an original copy, I saw a few for sale, starting at a mere $500. Oh. Because that's what we want to collect a serial killer's book for $500. I thought you were going to say 5000 so... No. I mean, it's out of print, so I guess I get that, but yeah. still. Mm-hmm. He was exactly what the judicial system promised could happen. A fully reformed criminal chasing the American dream. Like, he had it. Yeah, and that's probably why they, they did all this. And what, what year was this now that he got paroled? 1971, I think. Yeah, I can see that. Okay. Edwards moved a lot with his family. Again, he would go by different names to escape his less-than-clean past, and he just kept doing it. I don't understand how you can become a motivational speaker and be changing your name, but he fucking did it. On Monday, August 8th in 1977 in Sterling, Ohio, the bodies of William Lavaco and Judy Straub were discovered less than 300 feet from where authorities found Lavaco's abandoned vehicle during a helicopter search of the area. The couple had been last seen the Saturday morning before 
but weren't reported missing until Lavaco's car was found abandoned. The car was observed by police until 9 p.m. Sunday night to be sure that nobody returned for it. The vehicle was searched and had over $400 worth of valuables inside. Oh, wow. So they knew that they didn't just, like, leave the car there. They knew it wasn't a robbery. robbery, They looked for them and they discovered their bodies. Lavaco and Straub were both killed from a gunshot point blank in the back of the neck assumingly on their knees. In August 1980, Tim Hack and Kelly Drew, who were both 19, were reported missing in Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. The couple had attended a wedding reception on August 9th at the Concord House. They left the reception around 11 p.m., planning to meet up with some friends after. They never made it. The following day, Hack's father saw his son's car parked outside the reception hall with no sign of Tim or Kelly. Hack's jacket, wallet, and checkbook were all locked inside, prompting his father to file a missing persons report. And five days later, on August 15th, Kelly Drew's torn up clothes were found roughly three miles away from the Concord house. Authorities increased their search efforts. On August 16th, two hunters stumbled upon the remains of both Hack and Drew in the woods near Xania roughly eight miles away from the wedding reception location. Both bodies were beaten, and after autopsies, it was discovered that Hack had been stabbed in the back through his ribs while Drew was tied up and strangled. This double murder was referred to as the Sweetheart Murders and went unsolved for nearly 40 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Edwards was actually working at the Concord House during that time, and later it was found that he was working that night. Because of his criminal history, he was questioned. However, there was no evidence to tie him to the murders, and Edwards fled the state shortly after and wasn't heard from for two years. That's not suspicious at all. You know, you're doing the right thing. In December 1982, Edwards was arrested for arson in Pennsylvania after he apparently burned down a rental home and was sentenced to four years in prison. I guess that he wasn't that reformed after all, since we're still just burning stuff down. That motivational speaker stuff just kind of wore off. Yeah, he, he ran out of that juju. <laughs> Whatever it is that makes a motivational speaker, he lost it. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, he served his entire sentence. That's a first. What? Yeah. But he stayed quiet, or at least under the radar, for years after that. This is 1986. In the mid-90s, Edward and his wife, Kay... He's old as hell now. (laughs) Yeah, he is. Edward and his wife, Kay, were leaving Burton, Ohio, when they took in a young man by the name of Danny Law Glochner. Glochner had a fondness for the couple and must have seen them as some sort of foster parents, because by 1996, he legally changed his name to Danny Boy Edwards. In his petition for a name change... Danny Boy stated, I have been living with Mr. and Mrs. Edwards for over a year and have been supported by them. I call them mom and dad. I feel they are mom and dad. They treat me like a son. That was in his petition. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, he felt some type of way. Edwards convinced Danny Boy to join the military, saying it would be good for character. However, a very short time into training, Danny Boy was injured and the paperwork to have him medically discharged was on the way. Before it was finalized, though, Edwards convinced Danny Boy to go AWOL. And he did. He went missing in May of 1996. Why? 
You're leaving anyways. Because if he was discharged, he would lose everything that the military had to offer him. So he convinced this very young man who didn't understand yeah, okay. that if he ran away, he would still have some of those perks. Yeah, okay, that's how that works. Yeah, it doesn't make sense, but that's that's how he convinced him. Is that how that works? No. no. Okay, I was like, <laughs> wait, what? No, you actually get in a lot of trouble for going in. So yeah, much I was trouble. like, that's... Just so much you trouble. You go to jail for that shit. Yeah, yes. you were military property. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he he left. He went missing in May of 1996, but was never reported as such because he was known to travel to different places without notice, and I guess Edwards had convinced him to go. On April 13th, 1997, about a year later, unidentifiable remains were found near a cemetery in Troy, Ohio, not far away from where Edwards was living. Edwards was listed as the beneficiary on Danny Boy's life insurance and could receive up to $220,000. Wow. Though he wasn't convicted for the murder, the case remained unsolved for a decade. So really what he did was he stopped the paperwork from being received by Danny Boy so he was still able to cash in that life insurance. Mm -hmm. It wasn't actually for Danny, it was for him. Yeah. Of course. In March of 2009... NBC in Madison, Kentucky, ran a special report on the double murder of Timothy Hack and Kelly Drew, which was still unsolved. This is 2009. In the following weeks, the state received a lot of new tips on the case, but they were all pretty easily dismissed until April Edwards, the daughter of Edward Edwards, called with a tip about her dad. I've heard this. Like, this. now we're getting to the more modern era. Like, I've, I've read something about yes, this. Yes, I'm sure you have. Yeah. I'm, I'm remembering bits and pieces of this now. Okay. That's why Edward Edwards is familiar to my brain. <laughs> the detective in charge of the case at this time was Chad Garcia, and he stated that his initial phone conversation with April was over an hour long. She was only a kid when all this happened, but after looking more into the case online, because she saw the special that they aired, she felt a connection with the case, especially after reading her father's book. Garcia agreed and read the book himself, and then left for Ohio to interview April in person. Then in June, he traveled to Kentucky to interview Edward Edwards, and also had a warrant for Edwards' DNA, citing Edwards' own book as support for the warrant. Wow. He was like, look, he admits in this autobiography all the shit he's done. This is enough. And they yeah. gave it to him. On, karma. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> karma. On July 30th, 2009, 77-year-old Edwards was arrested in Louisville, Kentucky for the 1980 sweetheart murders of Timothy Hack and Kelly Drew after DNA evidence obtained from Edwards was a match for semen found on Drew's pants. Garcia traveled back to Kentucky to arrest Edwards, where he then interviewed him for approximately eight hours. Mm. Edwards was extradited back to Wisconsin and held on a $2 million cash bail. So they were like, nah, bitch, you're not going any source of place. Edwards pled guilty in June 2010 as part of a plea agreement. He also pled guilty to a second double murder of William Lavaco and Judy Straub. Edwards received a life sentence, though he begged for the death penalty at his hearing. No. They always do. If you want it, you can't have it. No, it's not for you. You don't, you don't get that relief. 
His health was failing from several, several ailments. He had leukemia, diabetes, heart disease. He would sometimes be on oxygen when he was in court and they would wheel him in in a wheelchair. He was hoping for death. In August, Edwards did an interview where he admitted he had also murdered Danny Boy Edwards in a rage. He claimed that Danny Boy was stealing from him and his family and racking up debt on their credit cards. He was just a bad seed. Edwards said he lured Danny to the cemetery where he then shot him in the back of the neck with a shotgun, point blank. Edwards was sentenced to death by lethal injection in March of 2011 for this murder. So that's five that he's Mm -hmm. admitted to. But he died in prison of natural causes a month before his sentence was carried out. Wow. So in looking at this, I really had to kind of have tunnel vision because the more tabs I open, which I have probably 20 tabs open right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm looking at them. There's lots. Yeah. The more tabs I opened, the more articles I read, the more people were almost hyping him up Mm -hmm. to be responsible for more murders to the point where I read more than one about how he might have been the Zodiac killer. And... I felt like that was very off kilter because he was doing these double murders and he on several occasions shot people in the back of the neck like he had kind of a style to it. Yeah. I understand though because he traveled a lot and he's known to have lived in over a dozen states so I get that but there were a lot of people that were like oh I think he did this one too. Maybe he did this one too. Maybe he did this one too. So I had to narrow down, narrow down a lot. Yeah. Yeah, So I went with just the five that he admitted to. That's fair. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember again, vaguely reading, it it was probably when he was caught something about this old guy and he killed his adopted son. Yeah. But other than that, I had had completely forgotten it and I didn't know any of the other stuff. So like that's. In any case, this is him in 1955. So. He's 22. He's got a really sharp nose. Like, you could... very sharp. It really is. You could stab somebody with that nose. He got a beak. But I don't see him as being this, like, really prolific killer. Like, they're trying to make him out to be in some of the Mm -hmm. articles. That's him as an adult. And that's... Some killers are killers of opportunity. Mm -hmm. But... I just... I don't know. A lot of these are from his book. And, again, some of the information I got, I did read probably six chapters of his book. I don't know. There were 400 pages. I got like 100 pages in. So however many that was. And a lot of it really did seem like fantastical. (laughs) So take with a grain of salt again. That's him when he was old and almost dead. Squishy gross old man. He was squishy gross old man. Here are our beautiful, beautiful victims. This is William. He's 21. He looks so happy. Yeah. The happiest person. I've never seen. I've never seen a photo from the 70s that looks so excited to be. He's so excited. Oh, she's so pretty. She looks like a doll. She does. This is Judy. This is Judy. That's from 1977. And that's Kelly Drew. She looks nice. She reminds me of Velma. Like, sans glasses. Yes. Exactly. And he looks like Shaggy. He does. (laughs) That's Tim Hack. That's Tim Hack and Kelly Drew. They're adorable. And that's Danny Boy. He's got very angular features. That's true. He does. He looks like every 
ROTC picture I've ever seen of somebody. Like, he yeah. he looks like he would eventually become a cadre or, like, a TI. Can you speak in English? Um, so, a TI. Uh, your instructor at basic training. Okay. Uh, a cadre is your instructor in basic training when you're at Warrior Week. Okay. Yeah, he has extreme features there. He's got His pretty... cheekbones are on point, though. Yeah. So that's Edward Edwards, and honestly, I'm glad that he didn't get uh, to die by lethal injection. I'm glad that he had all those ailments uh, and had to live that out, because you took at least five people. Yeah, I, I appreciate that he did not get what he wanted. Because that's not how life should work. Yeah, it's not. I don't think it's fair to take somebody else's life and then be like, you know... Uh, just don't, I don't, I don't want to live anymore either. I would like to check out and not deal with this anymore. Yeah, fuck you. (laughs) All right, so, any hints for your next? If, if I go with the one that I'm thinking about, we're going to be sticking around in England. I know I've done a lot of English (laughs) ones. You really have, though. (laughs) I wasn't planning on it. And then, and this one's actually not a murder. It is a missing person. Ooh. Ooh. Can I do Sasquatch next? I don't know. I just feel like we're branching out. And I'm <laughs> I mean, I tie it. if it's tied to a murder, can I do Sasquatch? Uh, we'll see what happens. I'm going to look. We'll see what happens. Um, I wasn't planning on doing this one, but it came up on one of the podcasts I was listening to, and I was like, that's intriguing. And now, uh, like we we were talking about before. That's you, how I feel about the Long Island serial killer, but there's so much information there that I just don't feel like I can handle that. Yeah. Usually I, I've already been researching this for a week, and I've been distracted. So now it's a week out, and I haven't started on anything. And I think I can knock this out in a week. So we're going to go with this missing persons case. And also it's still active, so. I mean, I do mine in a week, so you can do it. You got it. All right. All right. Well, Ruby, thanks for uh, letting us record in your closet. Yeah. And <laughs> You're welcome. Hang out with your house and hang out at your house and play with your baby. Yeah. This uh, makes you a murder mom now. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Can we make that our outro music? <laughs> thanks for listening to Murder Moms. Be sure to like us, rate us, and subscribe to us. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to subscribe to our Patreon, where you'll get exclusives like outtakes, discount codes for merch, and bloopers. Subscribe to our newsletter to see the photos we discuss in the episode, our sources, links to merch, and other bonuses. Submit questions, comments, and corrections to murdermomspodcast at gmail.com, and you can also just drop a line to say hi. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you in two weeks.